So one of our mantras from like day one, um, <laughs> one of them is um, don't be a paper straw. And you know, it, it, we kind of came to the realization that there are so many great products out there that have really great intentions like the paper straw, but they're never adopted at scale because they fail to match the functionality of the thing that they tried to replace. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number seven of The Net Zero Life. I'm Nathan Svee, and I hope you ate beforehand because today's episode is all about snacks. I eat 10, 15 times per day, and when I'm not eating, I'm thinking about eating. Eating a salad in a bowl the size of my face helps me maintain a healthy lifestyle, but I'm always looking for ways to consume sustainably. A large part of that is going to the Ballard Farmer's Market in Seattle to get our produce. Farmer's market food often has a much shorter distance to travel and therefore a lower carbon footprint. But there are times where I just want to rip open a wrapper and eat something processed. Corey Nobly of Impact Snacks is working to ensure that snackers like me can snack sustainably. Corey is a climate change activist, a lover of healthy foods, and a meditation professional. He's had the entrepreneurial bug for as long as he can remember, and companies he's founded include an activewear brand and an online sneaker marketplace. This episode is fun, philosophical, and lighter on the technical terms. That saying, we still bring up a few new concepts, so here are a few ideas to be aware of before we jump into the episode. The Forest Sustainable Council, or FSC, provides certification that ensures products come from responsibly managed forests that provide environmental, social, and economic benefits. The Power Law is a statistical idea relating to unequal impacts, also known as nonlinearity. For example, if I ate one fewer pound of food per day but lost four pounds, that would be a nonlinear but still related effect. Land use is an important concept in sustainability to address the non-carbon impacts of economic actions, although they often have a carbon impact too. One example of that is palm oil, which was supposed to be an environmentally friendly alternative to other cooking oils, but resulted in the removal of millions of acres of forest in Indonesia to create palm tree farms. The circular economy is the idea of not wasting goods. Instead of leaving our unwanted consumer goods in landfills, they're used to produce new products or oils to power our planes and cars. Permaculture is an approach to land management and a philosophy that builds around nature's ability to produce as one whole system. It uses ideas of relying on wild and native species and other nature-based solutions to grow food. Net Promoter Score is a rating for customers of companies which tell us how much they promote the company. They can be a nine or a 10, like my friends are for Peloton, or a two or a three for everyone when talking about Comcast's customer service, or Xfinity. We still know it's you, Comcast. Nice try. Moore's Law is the idea that the speed of technology will double every two years. And although Gordon Moore, the founder of Intel, came up with the idea based on a hunch, it's proved to be true to this day. Everything I say is my own opinion and is no way reflective of my employer. It's also not investment advice or anything else that can get me sued. Corey, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Before we get started, do you mind just pronouncing your name and your title? Yeah, Corey Nobly, and I'm the uh, the founder and CEO at Impact Snacks. Awesome. And if you don't mind, can I ask how old you are? Uh, I actually just turned 21, March 28th. Okay, congratulations. This is quite exciting for me. This is the first time uh, that Nets Your Life has interviewed a consumer-facing brand. Uh, and so it'll be really interesting to kind of dive into how important sustainability is, not just 
because it's good for the world, but also what I, at least from my perspective, uh, your brand as well. And it also something that's directly facing consumers that can make a choice very simply just by going to your website and purchasing snacks. And so with that, I was wondering if you could just start by saying a little bit about what it is Impact Snacks um, stands for, the brand, and if somebody had never heard about it, what would you say to them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Impact Snacks is a consumer goods company that is zero waste and 250% carbon negative. Um, we firmly believe that we should be able to enjoy the convenience of single-use products with without all the petroleum-based plastics, without all of the um, shady you know, ingredient sourcing. Um, and um, yeah, that, that, that's what we really, uh, I think, brought to life. Um, you know, we are focused on snacks because the average American has three to four snacks every single day. Um, so there's over a billion snacks every single day in the U.S. with packaging systems that end up in waterways or landfills. And um, it's a seemingly innocent uh, activity, you know, snacking. We all, we all do it. We all love it. But um, uh, it, was, it was definitely time for change. Yeah, and we're going to get into a few of the things you just mentioned, like carbon negative, zero waste. Before we do that, I'd love to just start with a little bit to learn a little bit about you and, and what you've done in the past. And so, um, I'm not going to lie, when looking at your uh, your LinkedIn, I was quite intimidated. So, if I, if I understand this correctly, you, as you said, you just turned 21, you're the CEO of now two startups currently, you've already sold a startup, and you run a fund. Yes, and the, the two startups that I'm running currently are actually the same company, just our B2B um, division is in stealth. Very impressive. Do you, I mean, just what is that like? You So you've already sold the company and you decided, hey, I'm not ready to retire in Bali. I'm, I want to go at it again. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. I was like, this stuff is addicting and I don't think I'll ever stop. I'm also super naive. I'm, I'm too young to have that perspective, but um, yeah, if it was just about money, I'd just buy a bunch of Bitcoin and go off in the woods somewhere, come back in ten years. But yeah, are you sorry? Are you a long, you're long term on Bitcoin then? Not to go down this rabbit hole, but yeah, I'm 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 Bitcoin maximalist for sure. Okay, okay, I'm a bear. I'm, I'm a total Bitcoin bear. So I'd, uh, we'll see. I'd love to chat we'll with see. you about that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, convince me I'm wrong. So because um, I, you know, I don't, I don't. <laughs> we'll we'll leave that for the second interview. Cool. Um, why did you choose to focus on sustainability for your second startup? That's a good question. So um, I was into business and products and building things well before I was kind of into sustainability, if you will. You know, so throughout middle school and high school, which is just when I was um, building my first products, I, I wasn't super eco-conscious, um, and I'll be the first to admit that. Um, and it's not because I didn't care. If you had asked me, hey, do you want to contribute to climate change, I'd say, of course not. But I didn't know anything. I couldn't tell you what bioplastics were. I couldn't tell you what carbon credits were. I couldn't tell you any of that stuff. Um, and if you don't know, you can't act. So then I went to um, college, and I had a few really, really amazing people um, kind of opened my eyes up to just how bad the problem was. And uh, the eureka moment was when I was like, oh, this is one of the biggest problem sets in human history. Um, and I really think that, um, you know, the best way to solve it is through innovation. So kind of cliche, but was able to pair my love for business with my newfound love for um, and sense of urgency for, for climate. So you're the first Gen Z interview I've done. Um, how many of your, how, like what of your peer group 
how many people care deeply about climate change or zero waste and not not to keep those two separate but and, and we'll talk about those in a bit as well but yeah so of my like immediate um friend group or circle i guess um i'd say a, a good bit really really care about climate um it seems to be true that gen z cares a lot more about climate than other generations but i'm also um hesitant to say that um and i think that there's a lot of bad data out there just because you know um it appears to be that way because Gen Z are the ones that are posting on social media all day advocating for change, but older generations just might not have um, as much of a presence on social media. So the perception is that they don't care because they're not advocating it for their for it on their Instagram stories or whatever. But um, most people that have made a really, really big impact in my life um, as it relates to climate change and kind of learning about it, um, you know, exploring new solutions, um, were not Gen Z. They were they were much older. So I don't think it's an age thing, but access to information has to impact it one way or another. Why did you choose to go after consumer facing sustainability? So right, you sold your first company. Um, you had a, you had like a pile of cash to decide what you wanted to go do, and you're like, I'm going to focus on the consumer, um, specifically food. Yeah, um, this was um, more kind of out of a frustration um, that. That many B2B or you know many startups in the B2B world um, that are trying to tackle the, the climate problems that are just focused on sub problems, um, and I didn't want to do that. Um, I also kind of saw the you know the, these this this wave of consumer demands and uh, the lack of sustainable products that did not force compromise. Um, so one of our mantras from like day one. Um, one of them is um, don't be a paper straw, and you know it, it, we kind of came to the realization that there are so many great products out there that have really great intentions, like the paper straw, but they're never adopted at scale because they fail to match the functionality of the thing that they tried to replace. Um, so the thinking was, if we could one, you know, prove the concept with a really, really amazing consumer product. Um, that looks, feels, and functions like the traditional products you're used to. It just doesn't. It just happens to be sustainable. Then that one-to-one -one switch would be a no-brainer for consumers. Um, and then once we had that proved out, we could take it to businesses and say, "Hey, this is a model. You should use this." Um, and all these parts that we have prepackaged and standardized. So. And so, is the goal of Impact, Impact Snacks to be like the new RX bar, or is it also? It sounds like it's in part is that so you want RX bar to use your technology and your supply chain so that their snacks are more sustainable as well. Yeah, the latter. I mean, I mean, the former would be cool too. Uh, I, I really like what RX Bar has done, um, especially you know just in the clean, in the clean label, uh, just general food and beverage transparency world. But um, the focus is definitely on our circular supply chain and, and how that can be um, used by companies of all sizes. Let's jump into Impact Snacks. Impact Snacks currently, I don't know if, if, if there's other plants in the works, but sells snack bars. Um, like I would liken them to RX bars, like they're clean um, with a you know high amount of protein. Although they've got a lot of other macronutrients, I feel like Tim Ferriss would be very pleased. Um, I don't know if he's one of your customers, but it kind of has his name written all over it. Uh, you also use uh, a bio wrapper, if that's correct, and um, or bioplastic wrapper. And so I, I'm going to let you explain it here shortly. But can you um, can you walk me through like from nothing to finished product how that bar is created yeah absolutely so um 
I, I kind of have to explain why we went with bars and, and, and why bars make a lot of sense. Um, so what, when we're looking at trying to create an impact in um, single-use products, we need to look at frequency of consumption. So if you have things like, um, you know, a, a can of motor oil, um, you're going to use that once every few months. Um, if you have something like a snack, right, that people are eating three to four times a day, um, you're, you're kind of on the higher end of that spectrum in, in, in frequency of consumption. And um, But then when you zoom in even further, you go even deeper, um, you have regimented snacks and then you have impulse snacks. So like an Oreo or a Cheetos, like that, those are impulse snacks. You grab it when whenever you're hungry. There's no consistency to it. So um, the frequency of consumption is there, but it's, it's a lot more sporadic. And with regimented snacking like health foods, people naturally work it into their diet. Um, and so you have that high level of consistency because they want to maintain some certain physique or uh, whatever it is, um, the state of mental well-being. So regimented health foods or regimented snacks are kind of the most frequently consumed single-use uh, products. So we knew that if we could start there, um, we could make a, a serious impact in people's lives. Um, but yeah, first step to, to do this was to kind of figure out well how, how are snacks currently made and then kind of rip it all apart and figure out how to build it from the ground up um, using regenerative resources um, and just, you know, the, the circular model. Um, so what this means is we want to re-engineer our supply chain to get as close to zero, net zero as possible um, before we buy any offsets. I mean, I firmly believe that the companies that are achieving neutrality by just buying carbon credits are doing no more than retroactively cleaning up their mess. Um, they're not actually doing anything about the future. Um, and what they're what they're doing by, by purchasing offsets as their sole means of achieving neutrality is they're creating a marginal cost for their business. You know, they're buying the rights to someone's uh, carbon reduction, but they're not buying the efficiency. Um, so we re-engineer as close as we can to zero. I mean, we still have things like, you know, uh, we don't have electric fleets yet, for example, for ground transport at scale. So there are some parts of our supply chain that are actually just impossible, um, especially as a startup, to, to completely get net zero naturally. But, um, you know, our, our bars um, coming off the line are about an order of magnitude less um, in greenhouse gas emissions, scope one, two, and three, than um, the incumbents. And why is that? Yeah, so for, for a lot of reasons. One, you know, we have plant-based ingredients this is the obvious one right um the agricultural process of you know bringing peas to the table is very very different than say like a whey protein um animal agriculture is just notorious for producing huge amounts of emissions i mean because it's about um you know the the amount of feed that you have to uh, you know feed uh livestock with um Oftentimes, it's actually more than you actually get out of the animal at the end. Uh, you have the years it takes to actually raise the animal, and you have the, the land that it grazes on. Um, so I'm not even talking about, you know, the inhumane nature of factory farming. Um, it just isn't business sound at all. <laughs> um, it's incredibly energy inefficient. Um, and so so just by using the right plant-based ingredients and responsibly sourcing them, we can, we can guarantee a far lower footprint. Um, but a lot of bars have plant-based ingredients and they're still a lot higher in the footprint so uh, they still have a much higher footprint so what else do we do we we kind of looked at the packaging system as a whole and we're like okay we have cardboard boxes this is going to contribute to deforestation even if it's fsc certified i mean it, you're still cutting down trees um and fsc is uh fsc it's it is oh something sustainability certified it, it basically it, it's it's a claim that says your your cardboard boxes are not do not create deforestation. So 
Oh, I just got a weird notification pop up. Sorry. So, um, sorry, it's on the tip of my tongue. I forget what it, the full acronym means. But you're good. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. You're fine. <laughs> cool. Thank you. So, you know, so we have the cardboard boxes. We have petroleum-based plastics. You know, for the flex film, um, we have packing peanuts, which are usually styrofoam. Um, we have shipping labels. You name it. So. What are ways that we can bring those all to zero, naturally? Um, well, with the cardboard box, we can use something like tree-free packaging. Um, we were doing some stuff with post-consumer waste, but now we're, we're taking agricultural waste and we're, we're using it to create a cardboard box look-alike. So it, it looks, feels, and functions like cardboard, but um, it's actually ag waste and uh, it's cheaper. You know, with, with the packaging, we have a cellulose wrapper. So it looks, feels, and functions like petroleum-based plastics, um, but it's actually made out of a blend of wood pulp and soy. It's edible. And uh, even our inks are made out of vegetables. Um, so th there are things like inks that, that people don't realize have, have a, do contribute quite heavily to, to your negative environmental impact um, because of how they can leach into ground soil and, and you know, um, harm water supplies, things like that. Um, similarly, we also have biodegradable packing peanuts. Uh, you can take them under your hand and run them under cold water and they'll just, you know, biodegrade, no, no chemicals at all leaching into the ground soil. Uh, and then we have, um, lastly, uh, this is very new, compostable shipping labels. So even that and, and the glue itself is going to be fully compostable, uh, which we're pretty excited about. Um, so the combination of that, that entire packaging system, plant-based ingredients, um, using regenerative resources, uh, such as, you know, any sort of renewable energy is, is something that, um, really helped position us to, to net zero. And so on your website, um, you talk about how you use life cycle analysis accountants or LCA accountants to certify all this. Uh, and so for people who aren't familiar with an LCA, can you explain just kind of like what that process is like? And, and for example, um, can you maybe share about how this stuff might even, right? Because you might, it might take more energy to generate the cellulose uh, based wrapper, although perhaps it doesn't, um, but just kind of explain how that plays into the whole picture. Yeah, for sure. Um, so LCA stands for life cycle assessment. Um, and a good way to think about it is your finished product or your company is a, you know, Lego spaceship fully built. And what the LCA allows you to do is pull apart all this Lego. So how many two by twos do you have? How many three by twos do you have? Four by twos. Um, and you get all the basic building blocks of your company, the type of transportation you do, all your raw materials, your waste streams, your vendors, everything. Um, and from there, um, once you have a really good picture of where everything comes from, how it was processed, how it was transported, um, you're able to figure out the positive or negative environmental impact of, of those activities and, and of those um, inputs. Um, this is a, a very data data heavy process. Um, we we have a bunch of um, you know engineers that are that are working to build the most comprehensive data warehouse in the world to to, to really do this um, at, at at the next level um, because right now there are huge error margins um, with all 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 LCA consultants out there, all LCA software out there. Um, and that's something that we're working to close. Um, we think that as mandatory climate disclosures come out and kind of force companies to conduct um, life cycle uh, assessments throughout their supply chains, um, we're going to see carbon accounting, which is um, kind of a branch of LCA, look a lot like what we look at today is financial accounting. So, um, yeah, it's it's um, <laughs> it's. It's spreadsheet heavy, data heavy, and but it's, it really uh, ties back to the building blocks. Are you yourself, does Impact Stacks have its own engineers um, building out a data warehouse? So it's like a totally different field, right? Yeah, that's under the, uh, the, the B2B um, division in Stealth. 
Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, and so, like, one of the things that one of the questions I often get from friends is the idea of like uh, power to create. And so, like, how many times do I have to reuse this ceramic mug before it's uh, more sustainable than just a paper a paper mug or one even that's compostable? And so, for your like, um, and, and correct me, is it is it a bioplastic wrapper or cellulose? One and the same. Yeah, there, there, there are there is a little bit of nuance there, but you know you can call it bioplastic, you can call it a compostable, um, it, but spe- specifically it is a, a cellulose film. Okay, all right, I'll use compostable because it's not the, the most people-friendly word. So your compostable wrapper does it take more energy to create that, or, or can you also get it in the same quantity from location uh, near you? So if um, and just for context, you're located in where right now? Uh, New Hampshire, mountains in New Hampshire, but I'm originally from and usually in Boston. And and where's the plant that, uh, no pun intended, but where's the plant that manufactures the bars? Uh, they're uh, over in Ohio, and well, okay. we fly into Pittsburgh and drive over. Okay, nice. And then so, and where do you get your cellulose wrappers from? Yeah, so we, we have a JV with a pretty awesome company uh, in Europe that we're working on uh, with that, but we cannot say much more beyond that. Again, it's part of the B2B uh, stealth okay. project. Okay. All good, all good. Um, but so, what about like the power to generate the the wrappers itself? Can we can we talk a little about like that versus just if you wanted to just get regular like RX bar wrappers, where would you get them from? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you wanted to get regular uh, RX bar wrappers, um, you would you would start with petroleum, um, and and you would you would kind of build your polymer um, on top of it. Um, Oversimplified. <laughs> um, so, so what this is is you, you kind of need an oil base. Um, what you can do with ag waste, or what you can do with like wood pulp and, and soy, is you can superheat it in the absence of oxygen and create a bio oil that has very similar properties to um, petroleum. And then from there, you can build a polymer in very similar ways, or a polymer, a polymer-esque uh, material uh, that some companies are working on, pretty bearish on. But I won't go down that road. Um, but yeah. Uh, it's uh, there's lots of different ways to to create sustainable materials, but I think starting with bio oil makes the most sense. And if you're using someone else's waste streams, as we are, um, it can actually be a carbon negative process in in some ways, um, and in some cases. But but yeah, so so the the yeah. total amount of energy um, required is is actually far less. Again, because we're using um, repurposed raw materials. Um, you talked about post consumer. Uh, post-consumer waste, something that hasn't been brought up before, and I don't know if we want to go down this road, but post-consumer waste, post-consumer recycled plastics is something that people, I think we, we all know about like recycling, but like understanding what what the different, recycling is its own world. Um, and But I think you said that you're moving away from post-consumer waste instead of going to a, um, a new version of your box. Yeah, we're going completely tree-free. Um, so both both post-consumer waste, generally, and our tree-free boxes don't create deforestation, um, like a you know traditional cardboard box. But um, the tree-free box is sort of like um, why aluminum is sustainable in a lot of ways. Um, it's it's very easy to compost by itself. Like aluminum, it's very easy to recycle by itself versus something like most plastics you know they have the little um they have the little uh you know recycling symbol on it with a number in it and you can't blend waste streams and that's why over 90 percent of all recyclable plastic is not recycled so post-consumer waste is similar in that it can really really mess up waste streams um and can in the end be just as harmful um it might take longer to get to the 
the landfill or waterway, but it will still probably get there. Um, and there's no guarantee that once it does get there, that it's, it's, um, the rest of its life won't be any more harm, harmful to the world than petrol plastics. So we want something that can, that can biodegrade in pretty much any corner of the world um, in a completely safe way. So that means home compostable, industrial compostable, marine biodegradable, and suitable for anaerobic digestion. Anaerobic digestion, we just, that would be like, I could eat it myself and survive. Uh, yes, it's sort of. Um, it also sort of, it will break down in the absence of oxygen, kind of. Got it, got it. Right, I was thinking, like, anaerobic, all I think about is like running as fast as I can uh, until my legs hurt. You mentioned reclaiming carbon, and you also talked about kind of how, like, if you're just offset, offsetting, um, you're you're not getting the efficiencies. Your website says you're 250% carbon reclaimed. What is the difference between being net zero, um, being above and beyond net zero in carbon reclamation? Yeah, so I think reclaimed is, you know, used by us quite quite often because. There, if you are going to offset, and again, we can't fully re-engineer to zero. We, we do that as much as possible, but there is a little bit that we have to, to offset. Um, you can either do that by, one, um, making sure that new emissions are not going to be created, or two, removing existing uh, greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. Um, so sequestration and then kind of prevention. Um, and I think a multi-pronged approach is necessary. You need to be doing both, because um, one, one kind of um, lessons the negative impact of, of past activities and one makes sure that future ones don't emulate those past activities and we do both so i think if you reclaim carbon you do more than just offset it which is which can be very indirect and non-specific to a company's supply chain so not only do we have that multi-pronged approach but we have uh, this new uh, approach to offsets that's going to allow it to be ultra specific to our company's um, activities so if you imagine like a flowchart down of all the different um types of impact created by our supply chain, you're going to see a, a one-to-one comparison to a, a similar flowchart with all the different offsets that, that we do have to use, or re-engineered pieces of our supply chain and how that um, you know, also offsets uh, some of our impact. And so when I went to go purchase, I just purchased my first set of bars. Um, I'm very excited. Uh, I am. I'm, I'm a huge pea protein fan. Ironically, I'm a pea protein fan through Beyond Meat, and so that will be fascinating um, to uh, to eat the bar, which is like a very different flavor profile. When do you? When do as a consumer? When do I get to like choose? Do I choose my offsets? I, I didn't see it in the process when I went to check out. No. So we're actually rebuilding our site right now, and we're trying to figure that out. We used to let customers not only choose what they pay, which is something weird that I can go into, but actually also choose where they want their offsets to come from. So a reforestation project in Madagascar or, you know, developing, um, you know, lots of solar infrastructure in Jackson, Tennessee, um, whatever it is. Um, we confused customers quite a bit and we didn't really nail the user experience there. So that's kind of, that's something we're working on, but right now we kind of do it and do it in the background. And who do you use to purchase your offsets? Uh, tons of different companies. Um, so, I mean, it, it just depends on what the activities are that we're doing. I mean, we've been working a lot with, with Clearloop. They do some cool stuff. Um, but yeah, and the thing is we, we also um, try to never pay a premium or ever charge a premium for carbon offsets. Um, any business model doing that, I think, is doomed to fail for many reasons, but um, they're not something that should be treated as uh, an abstraction of um, 
financial markets because we've seen where that got us and it's not really the solution to really hard problems but um, yeah we use lots of different companies we like to go direct to the source rather than going to a capital partner with a portfolio got it right so one of the interviews we did was with ren um i'm not sure if you're familiar with them but they're consumer-based yeah so they're consumer-based off the company and it's kind of interesting um i guess like what's the difference between in addition to like all the um the supply chain sustainability aspects but like what's the difference between me going and buying an rx bar uh and purchasing my own office offsets directly and buying something from buying my bars from impact foods impact snacks yeah i mean if you're buying offsets to justify an unsustainable lifestyle you're no better than wealthy nobles in medieval ages buying pardons from the church and you know it sounds harsh um and I do think that it's good for, for consumers to buy offsets because um, oftentimes they're supporting the supply side of the carbon. Um, they, they are supporting the supply side of the, of the um, carbon reduction um, industry, I guess, if you can call it that, um, which is going to need it's going to really need to keep pace. Um, but it's really not changing behavior. And um, again, we need to re-engineer or else we are not going to get there. And by get there, I mean not die uh, in less than 10 years. So. <laughs> Corey mentions that climate offsets have failed as a financial tool. In May, 2008, the US financial markets expected a carbon-based cap and trade law. The price of a ton of carbon at the time was $7.40 per ton on the Chicago Climate Exchange. Two years later, the price per ton dropped to 10 cents. We're currently seeing a different trend today. In Europe, the price per ton has gone up 10x in four years, from 4 euros to 40 euros on the European Carbon Allowance Exchange, and Bloomberg estimates it will reach 100 euros per ton by 2030. South Pole, a world-renowned sustainability consulting company, just published a position paper about what the private sector can do to step up their climate action, which includes the use of verified carbon credits. South Pole acknowledges there's more work to do, but states that carbon credits with the highest environmental integrity will help the world set a price on carbon, which is a key to acknowledging carbon as a negative externality, one of the hardest things to do in economics, according to Stephen Lovett, the economist and author of Economics. Zero waste, um, kind of its own field, but what are your, for you and for your business, what's, what do you think the focus is? If you had to choose one between like net zero and zero waste, and then also maybe talk about a little bit like what the difference between the two are or, and maybe how they're related as well. Yeah, that, that's a really, really good question. Uh, I don't, no one's ever asked me to kind of, um, talk about the, the differences there, which there, there, there are, it's pretty, it's pretty nuanced. So um, usually when we're talking about net zero, we're talking about scope one, two, and three greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so again, not, not just carbon. Um, when we're talking about zero waste, we're talking about the raw materials that are used. So obviously those two go hand in hand and lowering or raising one will impact the other or will, you know, um, but Zero waste means there's not really going to be any stranded energy, if you will, anywhere in our supply chain. Meaning, um, if 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 you see a wrapper, you know, floating in the water, um, that's energy. We cannot create or destroy energy. Um, we can just choose to transfer it in beneficial or useless ways. Um, and when you see it floating in the river, petroleum went into that, dollars and cents went into that. This, this is all energy or or byproducts of energy and or energy being transferred, I should say. And it's just going underutilized. So again, net, 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 net zero is more focused on um, 
greenhouse gases and zero waste is focused on energy efficiency and making sure that we're really using our raw materials and you know all, all natural resources to um, their fullest potential. It's interesting because I think like zero waste, I'm curious, or maybe I'll, I'll ask more from your perspective. As a consumer, are people more interested in zero waste as a concept or net zero? That's a really good question. It's one that I, I actually, I couldn't say with 100% confidence uh, the answer to. Um, but I, what I will say is I think, you know, power law rules everything around us, right? So even, even with kind of the, the, the branches of the climate problem set that are going to be popularized, that, that's going to apply. So we have carbon. Everyone knows what carbon is, pretty much. Everyone's like loosely familiar with it and know it's a bad thing. Um, similarly, I think everyone knows what waste is. I think everyone knows what recycling is. Um, a lot of people know that it's ineffective. Um, so if you're approaching consumers saying, hey, we're carbon neutral, that might be more common, but more people are, are you know, are likely to resonate with it. You know, it's more generic, but again, it, it's kind of, a, there's a lower barrier to entry. There's, there's not a, you know, there's not as much education needed um, coming from, from the, the, the company like us. Um, if it's something like zero waste, we have to explain why, well, it's actually a good thing that you can eat the wrapper. It's actually a, a good thing that you don't have to recycle it. You can, but you don't have to. Um, and if and if you do, um, make sure it's done uh, through you know an entirely closed loop with us or someone like TerraCycle. Um, don't just put it in your city's waste stream. Um, so there are there is some, yeah, there, there are some like granularities and I guess just general complexities involved with zero waste. But um, when we can tie it to people's frustration with home composting and recycling that they'll, they'll, they usually get it quickly so i don't know if that answered your question sorry there's a lot to get there yeah, no, no no you're good you're good you're good um i'm curious like do you do people do people who like who are your customers do they are they like question. proselytizers who go around saying these are not only like the, like the tastiest parts it's also interesting because there's there's really two pieces to the puzzle here right there's like we make a really good tasty product that's plant-based um and then there's also the like the whole picture which is that it's also like completely sustainable um whether that's not zero zero waste however however you guys pitch it um so who like are your customers huge fans do they um i think it's called like the net promoter score where would they fall in that our customers are um you know we target gen z and gen y um pretty heavily um and soon gen a but honestly we have customers all across the board um when when we target customers we kind of more look for um intent like are they are they shopping with are they going out of their way to shop with patagonia are they going out of their way to um you know use i mean name, name like like any sustainable company you know they're buying a, a prius a tesla um instead of focusing on on specific age demographics i mean that said i, I i'm just most familiar with gen z and gen y and i do think that sustainable products need to be made cool again um they're not just like this crunchy granola thing that only vegans from like oregon um you know i'm, I'm thinking about our chief numbers guy from oregon uh yeah. the beard is a mountain man it, that that's not that's not the only people that you know that should enjoy and champion sustainable products so um you know we lead with memes i think it's if you can communicate really really hard um hard to stomach ideas like climate change through humor um you can do a great job in, in resonating with people um so th that's that's what we're familiar with and we've seen success with it but honestly a lot of our customers are, are out of that age range yeah that was just so interesting i feel like people are very sensitive about food um and I, yes. it's interesting <laughs> 
Yeah, right? Uh, so, I mean, just as a joke, but totally serious. We, when my wife and I got married, we had, we asked for people's dietary restrictions, and 72 out of 215 guests had dietary restrictions. So that's like uh, basically a third. Um, and, and everyone feels like very, very particular about the food, myself included. Like, I want to be in my kitchen, I want to cook my food, I do it best, right, kind of thing, um, which is not obviously not the case. But why go after, uh, one, like, are people making a sustainable choice? And where can I, can I only buy your bars online? Let me start there. Where can I buy the bars? So right now it's impactsnacks.co or .com. Um, We had to go .co first because Facebook blocked our URL for no reason at all. Um, But we are, this is the year of specialty retail. So there's there's some mom and pop shops that we're rolling out to. um, And and we're going to be doing a really big um, wave uh, over the next few months. Um, We're also going through Amazon right now and uh, a bunch of other retailers and some online subscription boxes. Um, We have um, big, big box retail queued up for 2022. But, you know, if you mess up, you know, physical retail is obviously super capital intensive. then you know we won't get kicked out of target we'll you know we'll get kicked out of a small chain um and and the cool thing is they're all they're all usually more connected with the mission i think than other types of of potential buyers that we've spoken with you know small mom and pops so um it also does kind of feel like we're you know really aligned with with what what we're doing with this approach but and when you say mess up like what's an example of messing up you know uh target takes a chance on you they say hey you're going to be in x hundred stores all right everything goes well goes exceedingly well all right we're gonna put you in 1600 stores now and you know we're gonna do it in eight weeks um if you can't if you can't match that you can get dropped quickly um a lot of retailers uh, you have to pay huge amounts of money and ship with shelving fees sometimes it's just not worth the investment and you put yourself in a really bad position uh, with cash flows i mean the, it just takes a huge amount of money to do big retail well um and I mean, luckily, um, the former CEO of Stop and Shop is an, 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 uh, an investor of ours, so he's he's really uh, able to help um, guide this approach. And I think the the taking the tortoise approach, right, or the turtle, I guess, um, I think it'll pay off. Just allows us. I'm a huge. Yeah, go fast to go. I go slow to go fast. It's like one of my favorite yeah. sayings. Some, someone um, said. And then um, just re- oh, sorry, but someone said, someone said slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then so I'm. I'm a like, mid-Atlantic, so Stop and Shop is also the thing the same as Giant, and they also fall under the uh, branch. Is it? What was it? it? The 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 parent company is Ahold Delhaize. Okay, which is not Kroger, and it's not Albertson Safeway. It's just no, a different so, brand. So, okay. so Kroger is the the biggest grocery chain in the world, and Ahold is the second biggest, and Stop and Shop is their is their their largest SBU. So, SBU being um, strategic business unit. Kind of coming back here for a second. The reason I brought this up is I'm curious if people, if you put, um, let's use Cliff. I've used RX bar a lot. You put Cliff bars and next to Impact Snacks on the same aisle. Are people going to make the, how many people, um, and we can choose like which generation we go after, but how many people are going to choose the food item not based on taste? That's a really, really good question. And also, you know, honestly, shout out Cliff. We, um, we, I have to say this real quick. We, we roast a lot of big snack companies and big food and beverage companies uh, with memes. You know, we kind of we kind of just play with them. Like, hey, we're like we're, if we're a startup and we can do this profitably um, with competitive margins. Why can't why can't you? But Cliff has really been um, putting their money where their mouth is recently, and 
they're, they're doing some really amazing things um, in, in the world of, of sustainability. Um, but that aside, so all the roasting was just for fun in case anyone from Cliff sees this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, taste is, 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 is always going to lead with snacks for the most part. Um, it's sort of like the, the paper straw thing I was mentioning earlier where you can't force compromise. I mean, that includes price, that includes, you know, quality of material. Users don't like the mouthfeel of a paper straw, right? Um, but then it also, you know, includes taste for almost every food and beverage product. Um, so we went for kind of the idea that our bars are like and I quote dessert fueled flavor bombs um, and dessert, uh, you know, and cliff bars are more crunchy and we have a few products coming out that are more crunchy that are, that are, that are, we have a savory product uh, coming out, but um, so there's some differences there, but honestly we did tons of testing. Um, the, the contract manufacturer that we work with has tons of experience working with companies that have exited in our space. They can make really defining products. So, um, you know, and we're, we're teaming up with a master chef winner uh, to make some of our future products. So, Taste is paramount. We're, we're, we're hitting it pretty hard. But if we think that if we can have two thing, two two products, you know, us and anyone else, literally anyone else, and if we can match them on taste, just general quality and price, um, and the only difference is that we're more sustainable, it'll be a no-brainer ten times out of ten. Um, and we do have data that suggests that. Yeah, well, which makes sense. But I mean, so if you're if you're growing your brand uh, or growing your your product line, um, is what's what's the goal here? Is it to be the like number one snacking company, or is it also to create this like as you said B two B business to business, so that Cliff RX and any other brand that we've talked about can use your technology, and then you let other people worry about creating the tasty food, um, and they don't have to change their marketing at all because now just like their entire spot, it's like behind the curtain. Yeah, so um, I'd, I'd say our our really big goal here is to almost do what um, Beyond did, not not in like a grandiose way, but just in that they're they're completely open to any partnership. They're not going to say no. We're a plant based company. We're never going to work with KFC. We we'll have a huge deal with KFC now. And, you know, Taco Bell. Uh, you know, we have Dunkin' Donuts. They have the Impossible uh, Sandwich. So, or sorry, the uh, the Beyond Sausage Sandwich. Um, so we want to. You know, we roast a lot of big snack companies, but if they change, if they come to us and say, "Hey, we want to, we want to emulate this. Hey, we want to use vegetable-based, uh, you know, inks. We want to use compostable packing peanuts. We want to help them get their ASAP." Um, so I think that we can create a defining product, and we have a budding community that's like active, and they're sharing memes, and they're they're emailing us in late hours, and, and they're kind of super involved in this movement. I think that can exist at the same time as we help other companies look a lot more like us. Um, and I don't mean on the surface level. I just mean when you peel everything back and you see how you know the sausage is made. Um, I, I really think that there's a model that we can help popularize, and that that will mean we've done our job well. Not not having a million customers uh, just of impacts next alone. And so, if you guys succeed beyond belief, one of the things that I've been thinking about while kind of doing my research and reading about impact snacks is land use. And it's not something we've gone into kind of in the Net Zero Life podcast itself. And we'll provide links to the show notes for people. Um, who are who are interested more to like really dive into the the nuance there, but a lot of your stuff is is going to require uh, biomass, whether that's the the food itself, the pea protein, the wrappers. How do you think about that? How do you ensure that all of this all of the products of the live stream are not going to remove existing forests or displace um, other farm food? To answer that, I, I'd like to talk about three technologies that I'm really excited about because um, that's the solution. It's not just don't eat things and don't don't buy things. Consumerism yeah. will always exist, and 
will always have basic needs. <laughs> um, yeah, like land use is huge. Obviously removing animal agriculture, completely d displacing animals from, from our supply chain actually um, lowers the total amount of land that we need to use by a pretty staggering amount. Um, but even still, there, there, there are there are problems with, say, flat farms. Um, there's problems with, um, you know, basically like monoculture having um, or eliminating biodiversity just to raise a few different types of crops. Um, so one of the one of the first technologies that I'm really pumped about that we're going to be trying to to move towards are 100% uh, our vertical farms. Um, so I think that there was a was it a two acre vertical farm from Plenty that produced as much food as like a 750 acre flat farm check my numbers there someone fact check me but it was a massive difference either way um and the the staggering amount of energy efficiency that a company in the food and beverage world can achieve just by going to, to vertical farms is, is is pretty huge um and, and obviously the the land footprint like is literally just a, it's a fraction of a fraction of what, what is needed flat um another technology that i am um really really excited for Basically, there's a company that is working on this like detergent uh, of sorts um, that can biodegrade pretty much anything. Um, so when you have, um, and it kind of t turns it into this like this base liquid. Um, and I'm in shaky territory here, so I'm also going to kind of move past. This is a very new thing that my friend is also. I think he's actually stealth launching it. Um, you could take stems from sugarcane. You can take. Um, you know, the, the husks from, you know, any nut, um, you know, pulp from plants, um, and you can kind of turn it all into like this base liquid that can then be used as inputs for tons of different products. Um, so really excited about that. So, uh, yeah. And then, and then last like permaculture. So, um, there, there's actually a local farm to where we are, um, that, um, allows kind of all the animals, all the plants to kind of grow together. Um, and uh, I think biodynamic is another another name for it, and and that's something that that I'm, I'm pretty pumped about. Like if we do use flat farms, that's going to be the the focus. There's there's a company started by I think it's Sebastiano Castigliani, um, who's you know a partner at Blue Horizon, and he's done a lot of amazing things. Look up to him for sure. Um, that created like the first biodynamic wine company, um, and being able to emulate that with any food and beverage product, um, I think could be a cool thing. So sorry for the rambling, but. Oh, no, Those no, are our no, approaches to the waste problem, especially land. One of the things I'm curious is, does this technology exist already to utilize all of the waste you just talked about? Yes and no. Um, the, the building blocks all exist. There's just no companies that have done it in the right way. Again, this is something that we're working on in stealth. This is something a bunch of my friends are working on in stealth. One of my friends is taking coffee beans, for example, or, or used coffee grounds from all these local coffee shops in um, Bay Area, and he's turning it into this like uh, essential oil that can be used for food, it can be used for cosmetics, um, it can be used to make candles. Um, so, and he's doing this all with homemade bioreactors in his garage. So, the parts are there. We just do not. We have not placed a, a significant enough financial incentive um, in front of waste streams. So. That's kind of my take. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then there's also the part of, of scale, which I think is kind of the big question in the room. It's so easy to pump oil from Alaska to Texas, right? Um, versus like coffee grounds. Right, because, right. Well, because we made it as such, right? It's also like uh, a fluid. Because it received investment, not because it's inherently energy efficient. Yeah. 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 Uh, fair. Fair. Um, all at the same time, like, how do you go to like all the, there's no, there's no 
infrastructure to pump coffee grounds from the millions of coffee shops in the US, right, into a reactor. And, and it's not something to solve, but I guess it, it kind of brings me to the question is like, what is the long pull in your tent um, for your company in terms of being completely net zero without offsets or, or 100% carbon reclaimed? You, you tell me what the right verbiage is here. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So um, there are a lot of private closed loop systems like what you see at TerraCycle that are doing a great job. Um, there's also a lot of really cool products like Pila, for example, P-E-L-A, the company that made the, the first biodegradable phone case to make biodegradable sunglasses. They, they came up, they, they just created like a biodegradable, or sorry, a, a, a bioreactor for the home that's like the same size as the Keurig. Um, so startups uh, i mean in scale-ups are, are solving this problem there 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 are private networks that exist but um yeah it, it's 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 definitely in its nascent stages um but what i think will happen is similar to what happened you know you're talking about oil um or you know fossil fuels where where um fossil fuels are still they it still represents like 80 plus percent of all electricity that we generate um yet in almost every major world market renewables are already cheaper um it's and that's we're not even close to a full um, platform shift, a full transition. And once we are there, how much cheaper will energy be? Um, and efficiency rates are only going up. We have really cool things with fusion that are also happening to bring energy costs down. So um, again, it's not because the technology is worse. It's actually far better. It's just so early. Um, and I think the same could be said for the next generation of waste management solutions. Great. Um, thank you so much for your time. I have a few fast fire questions that I'm, I'm curious to hear, um, which is, and I want to start with, in the future, are all snacks going to be sustainable? And if yes, is it going to be part of the brand or is it going to be just kind of absent from the packaging? And, and sorry, what, so what do you mean by that? Part of what brand? Um, so like right now, if I go to like Impact Snacks, right, a huge, it's like, I know it's carbon reclaimed, but in the, like in 10 years, if I walk into Whole Foods, is everything going to be 100% carbon reclaimed? And I'm just going to not see that from the, like a customer facing standpoint. Yeah. So I think, I think, uh, I think as mandatory climate disclosures mount, um, and just regulation mounts as a whole, all snacks are going to be sustainable. All things are going to be sustainable. We don't really have a choice. And once we reach net zero at the global scale, all new legislation is just going to prevent reversion, right? So um, it's, it's going to be forced. Um, as for how it's marketed, I think that climate labeling is going to be as common as uh, nutritional labeling, right? Um, and I think it will exist for most consumer goods, not just food and beverage. Um, if not directly on the package, easily accessible by the company, just as you could find, you know, publicly traded companies, um, you know, quarterly financials. Do you have a climate label? I'll find out, I guess, when I get the bars, but do you have a climate label now? We do, and we're working on a, a, new, um, a new climate label, too, that actually brings you to a web app and allows you to explore our supply chain in depth. Awesome. I'm, I'm super excited for that. How many, next question, how many bars have you eaten in a day? What's the most number? Oh, this is so bad, man. Uh, prob probably a half dozen. And listen, like, our bars, they're healthy, but do not eat more than two in a day. It's a lot of fiber. It's a lot of fiber. So, Who is your favorite climate journalist or climate news source? I can't pick you. Um, <laughs> you totally can. The, uh, you totally can. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're honestly you're super cool. Um, I, I'm pretty comfortable this whole this whole podcast. But um, Peter Levin over at the In Good Hands podcast is fucking amazing. I mean, he just, he brings it 
every time. His energy is so high. His knowledge base is nuts. It's not just broad, it's super deep. Um, and I think he, most people will learn something um, by listening to that dude speak. Um, it's an L-E-V-I-M. Other people in the climate space, Peter I like uh, the, the Impact, which is just kind of like a small indie newsletter that's covering a lot of companies in the climate space. For Peter Levin, is it L-E-V-I-N? Yep, and the podcast is In Good Hands. You normally we start off with this, uh, but what is your carbon vice? What is something that you do that's not sustainable that you just, you, you acknowledge it and it's something maybe it'll change in the future, but you're not ready to give it up today? Fantastic question. Beyond things like using whatever an iPhone and using a laptop, <laughs> necessary evils. Uh, listen, I love traveling. I, I wish we had electric jets. Um, if I had more resources, I'd try to make an electric jet. I think that's really cool. Um, but um, I, I like traveling, and there's no real way to travel to faraway places um, without it. So that's that's probably it. I do I do feel quite bad every time I do that. Um, Shameless plug to check out our episode with Zeravia, who uh, are working on a hydrogen electric airplane. That one's launched and published. Really cool. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Um, Two more questions. These are these are actually less short form and more long form. Um, but I, I, I do I would do want to hear your thoughts. Uh, the first is like, what are your thoughts on the fact that the irony, or at least I perceive it as an irony, of <clears throat> that we're engineering our way out of climate change. That we're essentially taking you know climate change is man, human caused, anthropogenic if we want to use the fancy term, right? But we're we're kind of creating a controlled system to prevent climate change. Um, and I think Impact Snacks is an example of that, which is what we need. But I, I think that there's a soft irony there. And I'm curious to hear what you think. So that's an interesting perspective. Um, I, I think the reason why it seems a little ironic is that, you know, we're seemingly so advanced. You know, we have computing power has grown a trillion fold in the past like 40 years. That's fucking crazy. Um, we, we've seen life change before our eyes and yet we're also supposed to believe that all things that we've created have also always created harm as a byproduct and i think it's a really odd juxtaposition like we're, we're supposedly living in the future um yet we're not able to to do that without destroying all corners of the natural world um and it's it's yeah it's a really weird concept and I, I think uh, that's also a big contributor to the, the normalcy bias problem in, in, in the climate problem set where there's like this impending doom and most people are familiar with it, but so few are willing to act because one, they'll either justify their way out of facing the problem. Um, oh, we've been worried about climate for years. Nothing happened. They'll, they'll shift the responsibility to someone else. Oh, they're working on it. So I don't have to do anything or they just won't believe it. It's just, you know, um, blissful ignorance. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you're, you're sorry, I'm like rambling now, but you're really making me think. It's an odd problem, um, and therefore, if any business is working on this problem, it has to be communicated in a really, really interesting way. It's like, no, no, you are building cool stuff. It's just you know the byproduct. <laughs> We're just going to fix that part, but the technology is still still mostly aligned. So I don't know. I also think technology as as a whole is democratized. It is open. It is um, energy efficient. I mean, that that's what it strives to do. I mean, we have things like. Um, uh, like Moore's law that, that that kind of proves this right um but yeah that, that's the first time i've heard heard that question asked i think the question stems from reading sapiens by yvonne harari if you if you have if you've read it um and you haven't everyone and their mothers telling me to read you, that it's on it's, my list it's it needs to be number one it took me three tries like full disclosure but um it's a life-changing book for sure um last question how much of what you do 
personally and through Impact Snacks is to make a profit versus to create um, a more sustainable world. Yeah, so, um, you know, most people probably won't believe this, but that's whatever, don't really care. Um, if I just wanted money, I wouldn't have put all of the money I had made into something that probably will fail, just risk-wise, it's sort of incredibly risky. Um, I, I would just buy Bitcoin, the only ergodic asset class, and just you know go to the mountains and come back in 10 years. I mean, there's so many easier ways to make money than you know starting a business. Someone said, I forget who this was, but starting a business is like chewing glass and staring into the abyss. Uh, eventually you stop staring, but the glass chewing never ends. And um, I don't think anyone who's really built something would ever look at someone that's really in the trenches and say they're just doing it for money. But I think it's also a really easy perspective to have from the outside if you've never been a part of a company or have built your own. So, um, but I'm really not doing it for the money. I don't know how else to say it, but. Ah, I love it. I'm sold. I'm ready to come work for you. Uh, Hell yeah. Corey, thank you so much. How should people get in touch if they're interested? Yeah, um, Corey at impactsnacks.com, C-O-R-E-Y at impactsnacks.com. Um, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, reach out to me on Twitter. I'm rarely on Clubhouse, but I'll be on there sometimes, so ping me there. Um, I'm hiring lots of people, so I also need some Bitcoin if, uh, if you know, we, we get a, a, a positive referral. Um, also, I could tell you another time how uh, Bitcoin is, is, is solving climate. Oh. Instead of the trope that it's that it's helping create it. That's but. uh yeah. I mean, Jeanette Yellen called it out that Bitcoin is terrible for the climate. So maybe that will be episode two uh, in season two. But thank you it's, so much. It's, uh, it's BS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks again to Corey for joining us today. You can find him on LinkedIn, Twitter, or reaching out directly through email, corey at impactsnacks.com. After my interview with Corey, I'm wondering if people care about externalities. How many people actually look at a nutrition label? Even if they do, how many of those people choose a different item because of the information they find out on the label? How precise are we going to be when it comes to tracing an entire supply chain? Much like the adoptions of renewable energy versus gas and oil, I think sustainable products will have to reach parity in taste, branding, and everything else before they get adopted. That said, I'm not sure. Maybe people will base their decisions solely because of the sustainability brand. I'd love to hear what you thought about the episode. You can join the conversation about Net Zero Living on my weekly Clubhouse office hours by following at the Net Zero Life. Clubhouse Net Zero office hours are Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific and 9 p.m. Eastern. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at The Net Zero Life or by emailing me nathan at thenetzerolife.com. This episode was produced by Tawny Lovett, original music composed by Climb On. Thanks so much for listening. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review. It takes 30 seconds and it helps us out tremendously. Until next week, I'm Nathan Svee and this is The Net Zero Life.